The word that God's given me the last couple days and maybe a week is just that God is able. He is able. And there's many scriptures in the, in the, in the Bible that just point us to God being able. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover some of those tonight, but I'm going to s- set it up. This light is very bright. I can't even see. I better just stand right here. So um, I'm just going to switch this thing here. I have to put my, my uh, sling back on because I've been doing too many things with my arm that I'm not supposed to be doing, so I've been restricted again. So God is still able. <laughs> you know, I, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set you up a little bit here, and then I'm going to finish with five or six things that, that's on the back of your sheet, what, what Scripture talks about God is able. And so the first part of the, the night is going to be in 2 Corinthians 4. And so if you have your Bible there, if not, you can just follow along with a little summary version of what we got on the sheet, and, and a lot of it will be up on the screen. It says, a person, this is, a person in Christ does not need to fall apart, fall to pieces, even in the midst of the worst circumstances. Think about that for a minute. Why? Because God is able. We shouldn't need to fall apart. We need not fall to pieces in the midst of a circumstance. How many remember the song by Patsy Cline, I Fall to Pieces, right? What a great song. You listen to that song. She's got a beautiful voice. But in the supernatural, we do not have to be like Patsy and fall to pieces. We can maintain where we're at. So 2 Corinthians, and I'm just going to summarize 7 through 9 and 13 through 14 is this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are cast down, but not destroyed. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. That's going to be the basis of our scripture, and it's going to lead us into about showing us how God is able. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and I'll break them down here, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The treasure he's talking about is what? He's talking about God shining through our hearts, right? It never di- that light that shines through us, it never dulls, it never dims, it never burns out, it never blows up. You know, we tend to at times dim, go out, fade, but you know, the Holy Spirit on the inside of us never does that. And that's why when you look at God being able, it's because he's always maxed out, 100% power. Another way of defining this treasure is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It says that in Colossians 1.27. With Christ in you, there's hope. Paul was speaking of our present union with Christ and all the benefits that, that it affords. This truly is a treasure. Far beyond the price of money, it was purchased with the precious blood of Christ. When you, become a, when you choose to be a Christian, it's the free gift of salvation, correct? We've all heard that. It's a free gift. But it was bought at the highest of prices, was it not? Jesus paid a huge price so you could have the free gift of salvation. And the earth, earthen, vessels, earthen vessels that Paul's talking about here is he's talking about our body, correct? So we got the spirit that never dims and never burns out inside our earthly vessels that crack, that fade, that fall down, that need surgery, different things like that, right? But it's that, that, that spirit on the inside of you, it's the spirit on the inside of you that allows us to keep going. And it's with that Holy Spirit that God is able. 
2 Corinthians 4, 8 says we are troubled on every side. How many days do you feel like, sometimes you feel like that? People are coming at me from the top, the bottom, the side, all around. I can't get away from the pressure from the things. And this is what Paul's saying. I love how Paul preaches. He's like, I'm no different than you guys when you read it. I was the same. You think you got problems? I'll read you some of the problems that Paul was dealing with throughout his ministry. But what he's saying is, it's on the outside. We're distressed, we are perplexed, but we're not in despair. And the word troubled here is the word philbo, and it means to crowd. Now sometimes you feel crowded, right? And that's what he's talking about. In the, in the modern day speech, if you render what Paul was saying in modern day speech, he would say we are under pressure or rubbed the wrong way every day. How many times have you ever just said something about somebody? That guy really rubs me the wrong way, right? No one in this church would ever say that, right? No, that's, that's what Paul's saying. We get rubbed the wrong way all the time. You know, and it's our inside, it's the flesh that gets rubbed the wrong way, right? And then it's our flesh that allows us to say things like, that guy rubs me the wrong way, you know? But it's Paul was saying, you know, even when we come across different people in our life or different circumstances, because God is able and he's on the inside of us, we don't have to walk in being rubbed the wrong way. We don't have to walk in that despair, that, that being perplexed. 2 Corinthians 4.8 is often quoted as some sort of stamp of approval for the belief that God wants us to suffer. And after all, look how the Apostle Paul spoke of the problems he had. And we'll get to those. I'm just setting you up here. The problems that Paul went through, you know, they weren't because God kept heaping them on him. It was because he was walking in the world and trying to spread the, the, the gospel. And when he was spreading the gospel, he came across people that didn't want anything to do with it. And you, maybe yourself, with family or friends or coworkers, try to spread a little bit of gospel at work and man, do you get persecuted. You get, you get run down. You get knocked around, you know. And, it's, and it, hurts, it hurts inside. It hurts, it hurts you. But it's really nothing compared to what Paul went through. He did mention troubles and afflictions that he endured, but everyone is troubled. Everyone is perplexed. Everyone is persecuted. Here in America, we got it fairly decent when it comes to being persecuted for our Christian beliefs. I still think there's people in, in, the, in, in the United States and the government and the school system that want to do away with God. But for the most part, you don't have a gun in your head if you're reading the Bible. You know? I don't think it'll ever get to that. But, you know, things that, that maybe for some of you people are from a different generation, remember when you were a kid going to school what it was like. But now, as your kid going to school here, it's, it's totally different. And people want to take that out. So you're, you're, it's perplexing. You're rubbed the wrong way when you go to work or when you go to school for your beliefs and things like that. So he's talking about being perplexed. He's talking about being in distress, Paul. He goes on to say, Paul was saying he was constantly under pressure, but those pressures didn't get on the inside of him. See, we cannot clear every problem out of our past, but we do not have to let them get on the inside of us. It's a choice to be bitter, right? You can be bitter, or you can be better. You can forgive. It's a choice, right? We have the choice to forgive somebody. And when we forgive is what the, what the Bible tells us we need to do, then things start to go in our direction. See, God is able. God is able to do a work inside of you to allow you to forgive some of the hurts and the faults that people have come against you in, the, in your lifetime. It's God that can do it. Because in, in our own willpower and our own strength, we just can't do that. It's God who is able because he's implanted the Holy Spirit inside of you. God is able because he inspired people to write his word. And through that, we are able to get through anything. And that's kind of what the message I get from Paul. 
He's talked about a lot of different things, but he is able to get us through. I love that scripture in 2 Corinthians, and I, I just keep thinking about it. And that's what kept him out of, out of despair. He wasn't because he had no problems. It's because he had a treasure on the inside of him. I like what he says. I have this treasure on the inside of me. Who doesn't want treasure, right? People go looking for treasure all the time in the Gulf of Mexico. Shipwrecks, pirate ships, all these different things, right? They just look and look at people. Some people give their whole lives. I think it's on the Weather Channel where there's, these, there's a, it's this prospector show. I forget what it's called, but it's on all the time. And these guys are like up on the side of a mountain in Alaska or blowing up rock and looking for these little bits of gold and different things like that. People are always looking for a treasure. It's a cool show. It's amazing what people will do for a lump of gold. And so there's, the treasure is on the inside of us, is what he's saying. 2 Corinthians 4 9 says, We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. You've never been forsaken. I will n- never leave you nor forsake you, is what, is what Jesus said. God, you're cast down, but you're not destroyed. You might be kicked to the curb, you might be pushed down, but you're not destroyed. Your physical body may be destroyed with sickness sometimes or disease, but your spirit is, is never destroyed. One of the most, most trying aspects of persecution is the feeling that God has forsaken you. How many people have ever been to that point where it says, if God wanted, he could stop this persecution. If God would just step in right now, he could take care of this problem. We feel that sometimes. Where is God in my life? Where is God in this situation? Where are you? And a lot of times that's what the devil is trying to get us to think. He's trying to qu- us to question God, and then, and then when... when we don't get the results we want, then we blame God. And it's really, it's the enemy who's just right between your ears all the time telling you, you're not good enough, or this person has got it out for you, or things like that. But Paul knew that the Lord was with him in persecution, and he even glorified in persecution, knowing that Jesus was right there with him in his suffering. This kept Paul from being discouraged, discouraged through his persecution, and it, and, it went, and it worked well for Paul. He eventually was, was killed, through his trials and tribulations, he always was glorifying God. I talked about this on Sunday when him and Silas were in jail, the pit of all pits, right? And I've talked about this before where they weren't just in jail, they were in the sewer. They were in the lowest part of the jail, right? And the plumbing back then wasn't the greatest, so when everybody went to the bathroom or got sick, whatever, it just kind of went down to the bottom. So basically, they were in the toilet. They were in the cesspool of the jail. The worst place you could be. And what did they do? They sang. They raised their voices to the Lord. And, it was, and the situation was turned around. And that's the message, that's the lesson I always learned from Paul about in his discouragement, in his trial, trials, in his stripes, in his beatings. He always was glorifying the Lord. I love what it said in 2 Corinthians 4.13. It says, We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed, Paul says, and therefore I have spoken. And we also believe Therefore, speak. Speak what you believe. If you believe in what Jesus has done for you, speak that out in the time when you're in, a, in turmoil or you're feeling perplexed or you're feeling pressed on each side or run down or kicked around. Paul's point is that faith in God caused him to speak and proclaim the truth of the gospel. Just like David did in the Old Testament. David didn't, ha- didn't have very good time sometimes. If you read in Psalm 116, 10, it says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Paul had many reasons to fall apart, but he thanked God always for causing him to triumph, even in the worst situations. And 2 Corinthians 2, 14 says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh 
manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. Always causes us to triumph. Sometimes your situation, your circumstance might be long. It is called long suffering in the Bible, right? It's patience. It might be longer than you want. It might be longer than the last time you went through it. But I guarantee you, God always, through Christ, causes us to triumph. And when we continue to realize how much God is able, and we allow God to work in our lives, that long suffering is going to shorten itself up. It will. Most times that we're, we, we spend a time in the pit is because we try to figure out what's going on. Why is this happening to me? And we spend a day or two in a pity party, and then we realize, this is ridiculous. If I just get back on my horse with Jesus, I can get through this. And then you can see your time start to shrink there. So Jesus, or, or, or Paul, went through a lot. I mean, just think about the things he went through. Just go back and read some of his letters. Paul praised God for always leading us in a triumphant victory through our union with Christ. You know what he's talking about there? In, in Paul's day, the word was associated with a triumphant procession. Because when the Roman armies, because he was, he was Roman, so when the Roman armies would come back from a defeat, they would ride through town, right? In a big parade. And they would take all the spoils of war and they would drag them through town and show everybody. And then they would take all the people they captured and they would drag them through town. So it was just a big production, right? It was a triumphant victory, victory parade. It's like the Super Bowl is in a couple weeks, right? And when Seattle ends up beating New England in the Super Bowl, they have a big parade in Seattle, right? We got a New Englanders and someone who likes Seattle right next to each other, so I can keep an eye over there. You're just neutral, right, Maggie? Okay. But you've seen a Super Bowl parade, right? It's crazy. Ticker tape and all that stuff. That's kind of like when Paul is saying about the Romans when they came back after a big victory. They had a big Super Bowl parade. And they just, they went crazy. And it was a big triumphant procession. And that's what, that's what Paul's trying to tell us. He always causes us to triumph. What he's saying is that God, through a relationship with Christ, always causes us to triumph. And in that triumph, we can have our big victory parade. We can parade through the midst of our problems and our, our situation and say, you know what, I'm victorious. I'm already victorious. I'm always victorious. Another thing they did that the, the spoils of battle were, were displayed, like I said, but they also had these censers were also carried in this parade and they, they dispensed a pleasant aroma. You know, we have the glade things that we plug into the wall. It's a bigger one than that, right? So not only were they seeing their, their soldiers come back victorious, not only were they seeing the spoils of victory, not only see, were they seeing their enemies captured, it smelled pretty good. I'm guessing back in that time that was probably good to have some nice aroma when the people been at battle for months and, and coming back to town. So Paul's saying, you're all, he always caused you to triumph. He says, you're always part of the victory parade. That's what he's saying, you always are. And so Paul was stating here that we share in Christ's victorious procession. It's not your procession. It shouldn't be your pity party, and it shouldn't be your victory party. It's your party that you're allowed to have because of what Christ has done for you. And you're joining in that victorious parade. Paul was alluding to the censors of Street Aroma as being like the knowledge of Christ spreading everywhere. Just think of something that smells good, like flowers in the summer. See, that's what, that's what Christ was like. He's like spreading this sweet aroma, something good, you know. Just think about Paul and Silas in the dungeon. Bad smell, right? Now he's saying, when you're with Christ all the time, it's this sweet smell. I get this picture of Paul when he's down there singing hymns to God. He doesn't see the surroundings around him. He doesn't smell the smell. He just has a sweet aroma of Jesus. 
and allows him to worship and allows him to praise God in the pit of pits. Let's just think about Paul's testimony for a minute. I'm gonna go through Paul's testimony and you can read about part of this in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 27. It talks about Paul as being beaten 40 times. Three times with rods. He was stoned. He was in three shipwrecks. Excuse me, he spent a night and day in deep water. I'm guessing after the shipwreck, one of them he just floated around in the water for a while until someone picked him up or he floated ashore, I guess. He was listed being in perils by robbers, so he was robbed. His countrymen forsook him. The heathens who didn't believe in God were down on him. He was, uh, had problems in the city. He had problems in the wilderness. So everywhere Paul went, no matter where he went, he said, I'm going to go to the city because the people in the countryside don't like me. Well, they found out they didn't like him there either. I'm going to go back out to the woods. We don't want you here. Go back to the city. So everywhere he went, they didn't like him. He was weary. He talks about being in pain. He suffered hunger. He had thirst. It was cold and he was naked. And his labors were more abundant. His stripes above measures, what it says. His imprisonment was frequent. And the threats of death often. When standing on the ship on the third day of a 14-day storm, he told the passengers and crew to cheer up because he believed God and all would be safe. Safe. That's his attitude. That was his attitude that he had. He had an attitude of, I'm here for a reason, and God is going to get me through this. And I'm going to praise, and I'm going I'm to go with God every single time. Paul even had 40 men who refused to eat until they killed him. Think about that. They're on a hunger strike until they killed him. Of course, that didn't happen at that time. He had a lot of stuff going on that you and I would think, that's terrible. My life's not so bad right now. Yet, he did not fall apart because he had the same spirit and the faith like David had, like I said in, in Psalm 116. After da- and in Psalm 116, it talks about after David's, King David's baby died, he did not fall apart. He got up, he changed his clothes, he went to the temple and worshipped. And God not only restored him, he gave him a son named Solomon. It's a good lesson for us. When something goes bad, get up, change your clothes, and go find some people to worship with. If you can just lay there on the floor, you need to call three of your friends to come over and just pray for you and worship with you. That's good enough. Until you get up. Get up. Get in the shower. Get your clothes changed. And worship God. It doesn't say get on with your life and just try to forget about it. It says, no, worship God. That's what he says. Jesus said to have faith in God and take hold of his faithfulness. Trust in God's ability and what he is able to do. And that's what Paul was confident in, that because of his relationship with Jesus, he was able to do these things. So here are some things that God is able to do. I'm gonna give you six scriptures. And you can go back and read them and you can do some word studies on them because I think when, we, when Pastor Jeff and I give you scriptures and we give you a lesson, it's a great opportunity just to take it and pull it apart and just go, whoa, that's amazing. Because what Jeff, Pastor Jeff can do on a Sunday for you is about this big. The messages that he gives to us are amazing. They got so much in them. But it's an opportunity to take that message for seven days and just pull it apart and see how awesome it is. And then when you come the following Sunday, you're like, what do you got for me? And now that we have a Wednesday night service where he's preaching on Wednesday nights, you get double. So it's an amazing thing that, you know what, the things that what Paul's telling us about, you know, as we're pressed and we're distressed and we're perplexed and all these things, but with God I can do anything? Well, we got a great opportunity here at Praise Community Church to come and hear the word, to hear the truth twice a week. 
and then, and then open it up and, and apply it to our life. What a blessing that is. Jude 124 says, God is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. And I'll read you the scripture. Now unto them that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Pastor Jeff, I'm going to ask you a question. When we were first going to church at, at, the, at the other building, you used to quote that scripture at the end of, at end of sermon sometime, the Jude 124. I remember that. It just stuck with me all the time. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, who's that? God through your relationship with Jesus, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. He's presenting you as faultless. Isn't that a great thing? How many people here throughout their life have been told they have a lot of faults? Nobody? That's awesome. (laughs) I wasn't looking for hands, but thanks. I'll take your word for it, Rob. All right. So here we're, so he's saying, that's not you. You've been presented as faultless. And I remember Pastor Jeff used to say that at the end of the sermon sometimes, and before we would go forth, I was like, I didn't know what that meant for about a year. And then I got born again, and then I started finding out what the Word of God said to me. I was like, man, he's going to keep me from falling. It's not my just doing extra work or trying to do better. He's going to keep me from falling. But if I do fall, I'm going to be presented as faultless in front of him. And when I have that revelation of me being faultless, I can get back up again. And then my falls will be fewer and far between. But this letter was warning that even though they believed, and if, when it talks about those who believe, those are the born again, those people that were saved, they could be corrupted and lose what they had. Just like the Israelites had, had favor from God. So what he's saying, even though you're born again, and even though you're seen as faultless for God, you can fall away. You can choose to do it God's way, or you could choose to do it our way. Now there's great debate throughout the church whether you lose your salvation or you don't lose your salvation. I'm a believer that if I'm saved, I'm saved. But I can choose to do stupid stuff and, and walk away from what God's best plan for me. That's what I believe. So what, that's exactly what he's saying here in this scripture. Now that to him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You have that opportunity. We just have to walk it out, right? We have to find out what the word says. God is able to keep you from falling. In our own strength, we trip, we fall, we stumble all the time. But when we, when we focus on God, focus on the word and what it says about us, he'll keep us from falling. We will fall, we'll struggle, because every day we make decisions that aren't, that aren't godly decisions. They're not overly terrible things, like we go out and murder somebody. But we do make decisions in our life each and every day that aren't godly decisions. We just, we just make a decision. Then a week or two down the road, we're like, how did I get to this point? And if, you could, if your brain worked good enough, you could trace it back to that moment where you said something over your life or you said something over your kids, and you're like, ah, I get that. That's where it all started. So he sees you as flawless. God keeps those who want to be kept. I love when I read that and when, when I wrote that. God keeps those who want to be kept. I think you're in the hand of God all the time. I really do. God's got you in his palm once you're a born-again Christian, but you can keep on keeping on and doing it the way God wants you to do it when you put him first. And when you start doing our own thing, then you fall away. Hebrews 2.18, this is the second thing. God is able to assist or relieve you when you cry out to him in testing and trials. Isn't that great? In the world, you will have trials and tribulations. It does say that. It says you should cry out in those trials and tribulations. And it's not a cry out like, why are you doing this to me, God? Because God is not 
that type of God. I, I believe he's not. It says to cry out, to call out to him, say, help me, Father. I need your help right now. Scripture 2.18, Hebrews 2.18 says, for in that is he himself has suffering been tempted, he's able to secure them that are tempted. He's basically saying, I've been tempted, or Jesus has been tempted. We see that in the Baba, right? Right after he's baptized and he's led out into the wilderness, he's tempted. I think Pastor Jeff has talked about that many times. Not too long ago. So Jesus knows what you're going through, therefore he's able to aid us in a perfect way. Think about that. He was tested, Jesus, he was pushed to the limit, was he not? And he's saying, if, if I can get through this, you can get through this too. He was God in the flesh, but you know what? We have that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead on the inside of us. We have God living on the inside of us, so when we're pushed to the limit, and we throw the word of God back at the enemy or the thoughts, we'll get the same result Jesus did. Satan's got to flee. Daniel 3.17 is the third one. God is able to deliver you from the fiery furnace of persecution. Think about that. This is from Daniel 3.17. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. He says, three Hebrew boys are there. They've been, they're, they said they're not going to bow and, and, and when the music plays, right? We see that in, in Hebrews 3.17. And so the king says, we're going to have to chuck you in the furnace. Sorry, you're going in the furnace. You know, and so they throw them in the furnace, the burning furnace, which they turned up even hotter than normally was. I think I'm going to put my arm back in here because I'm starting to wing it around. Uh, and then in Daniel 3.25 says, when they all looked into the furnace, who was there with them? Someone that looked like the Son of God, Jesus. There was four people in the furnace, you know? So this is their statement. They said, our God is able to deliver us from this furnace. Your whole life might be a, a blast furnace, a fiery furnace. God is able to deliver you from that furnace. In the whole grand scheme of things, heaven and hell, when you become a Christian, you, you confess Jesus the Lord, you are saved from the fiery furnace, right? That's a good thing. But there's more to life than what's going to happen to you 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 years down the road because you've got a life to live. And God today on this earth is going to deliver you from the fiery furnace. Just like he did those guys. Because you have the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. Daniel 3.25 is my favorite. When he looks in there, it's like, there's four people in there. And you know what's even better is when they come out, it's not like their hair was singed or their clothes were burnt off and they just scraped by. They didn't even smell like smoke. Go back and read that scripture in Daniel 3. It's awesome. I love it. It's like, that's what God does. It's like he does something that's so way over the top, bigger and more incredible than you can ever think of. These guys are in the fire, the hottest fire that's ever been probably in that furnace, and nothing. They come strolling out. But the confidence in those guys was awesome because they said, either way, it's good. It's going to deliver us somehow. Some people think they were saying that maybe it was because if we die, we're going to go be with, with God. Okay, I can get behind that one. But they just felt like no matter what, God was going to deliver them. And I like to think that that's what they were saying. This furnace isn't going to stop us. So the furnace in your life, the thing that's heating up and putting pressure on you, isn't going to stop you today either. I think sometimes if we just had the faith of those guys, when someone says to you or gives you a medical report or something like that, you could just say, God's going to deliver me from this furnace. Do we have the courage, the belief to say that? I hope so. I say that every day about my shoulder. I feel like when I get up, go to bed at night, I'm like, when I wake up tomorrow, 
it's going to be perfect. I'm going to go back on the ice and I'm going to be taking slap shots again. And I get up and it's the same as it was the day before. I still believe God's going to deliver me from this fiery furnace every day. It doesn't waver. So whatever you're going through right now, if it's been a day, a year, a month, 10 years, 20 years. How about the woman that we talked about on Sunday who uh, had the issue of blood? What was it, 12 years? Finally, she's, she said that enough's enough. I'm going to go get in touch with Jesus here and he's going to take care of it. And that's what we can do today. So if you're dealing with something that's been a while, you just keep pressing in. You just keep starting over that same day, the next day, saying, you know what, Father God, I know you can do this. You've done it before in my life. You've done it in the lives of my friends and my family members. You can do this for me. Romans 4.21 says, God is able to form what he promised. And it talks about the scripture saying, and being fully persuaded that he had promised, he was able to perform. Who's he talking about there? Abraham, who's 100 years old. And when he's talking about able to, to perform, we're all adults here, we know what we're talking about, right? As a 100-year-old man, he fathered a child. God said, you're going to have a child, a father of many nations. And he's like, with who? With her. She's 95, God. Yeah. So they get together and he's, they're able to perform. And you know what? There's our heir. Abraham, the father of many nations. God comes through. Many people have been persuaded that the promises of God are true, but they stop short of meditating on God's word until they become fully persuaded. The difference. We can read some devotions and things like that, but like I say, when you, when you take Pastor Jeff's sermon home and you tear it apart and you rip it up and you say, this is all the promises are in there, man, you get so much nuggets out of there, and then you become fully persuaded. And the only way to be fully persuaded is to to have Jesus living on the inside of you. Strong faith belongs to those who continue in God's word until all doubt is removed. How many people want doubt removed from their life? I want doubt removed in my life. Do I have doubt every single day? I'd be a liar if I said I didn't. There's everything that goes on in your life, doubt creeps in. Doubt is the one thing that just can shut down anything. And when we allow doubt to run our lives, there goes your ministry. There goes your your benefit package. There goes all these things because we're doubting God's word or we're doubting ourselves. And when you don't understand who you really are, then that's when the doubt can creep in too. So doubt is that one killer of promises. It's killer of everything. So we just have to know that our faith and our strong faith comes how? It says in Romans 12 too, by renewing our mind to the word of God, then your faith will grow. It talks about that in Hebrews 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It grows your faith because you're finding out more and more things about yourself. I went to rehab today for my shoulder. What's the, what are they going to do with my shoulder at rehab? They're going to make it stronger. It's like going to the gym, right? I've got to build my arm back up. And that's what we have to do with the Word of God. It's like going to the gym. It's a muscle to build it up. And then the more you do, the more you're built up. And the less you get strains and pulls and torn hammies, right, David? It's like the Word of God. Same thing as when you're when you're when you really studied and renewed your mind to the Word of God, you have less and less things attached to you, less and less problems attached to you. Like I said, in this world, you will have trouble, you'll have trials and tribulations. But Jesus did say, "Take heart, I've overcome the world." He's given us the tools. Whatever we focus our attention on is what our hearts will believe, and whatever we neglect is what our hearts will disbelieve. That's a good one. 
If we allow ourselves to meditate on our problems and all the reasons it looks impossible for God to move in our situations, then we will believe that our problems are bigger than God. We have problems. Some of us have massive problems, bigger ones than, than I can even imagine. But God says, you know, in Mark 11, I'll move this mountain. I'll move it. I'll cast it into the sea. I'll get it out of your way if you believe. We keep our minds stayed on the promises of God. Nothing is too difficult for him. Think about that. I guarantee you, everybody in this room, I can't say for certain, but I'm going to say that some, everyone in this room has prayed to God and asked God for something in their life, whether it's one out of a million prayers, and it's manifest in your life. I'd say that everybody here has had that experience. I'd believe, I believe that. So we should just keep asking and asking and calling upon him because he'll continue to do it. He'll do those things in our life. God is willing and God is able. God is able to do mighty things. I love what it says in Jeremiah uh, 32, 17. Nothing is too hard for you. This is what they're saying to God. And then it goes on to say in Jeremiah 32, 27. This is God speaking. Is there anything too hard for me? They're in agreement. Nothing's too hard for you. Nothing's too hard for me. I'm going to jump in on that. Nothing's too hard for God to overcome in our lives. This is the reason that people today, when they put the word into their lives, it works. It's not some crazy formula. The word just works. The baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you allow the Spirit, Holy Spirit to come out of you, and you apply the word to guide your life, it works. And you know how it works is that it helps you in your situations, in your trials and tribulations, and it also helps you shrink the trials and tribulations down, minimizes them. I believe that. The reason, we can actually harden our hearts to doubt by considering only God's word. Does that make sense? If we have doubt in our heart, if we put God's word first place in our life and and go with that, your heart will become hardened to doubt and unbelief. Think about that. A hard heart, hard-hearted person isn't someone who is technically evil or mean. Like they say, that person's got a black heart, that person's got a hard heart. When you're a Christian, when, it, when a hard heart has to do with, have you hardened your heart towards God's word and what it says? And what, this, what it's saying here is if you get just totally jacked up on God's word, it's going to harden your heart towards the things that are not of God. Put a shield around it. It's kind of like when you look at Ephesians 6 and it talks about all those all those uh, weapons and, and, and protection from God. Shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, all those things. Things that protect you. And then you go on the offense with the word of God. Second Corinthians 9, 8 is number five. God is able to make all grace abound unto, unto givers. I love that scripture. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, all grace, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound in every good work. I love when it says abound. It's just coming at you. Grace abound. Always having all sufficiency. How many people here today would like to have all sufficiency? I would. All my needs met. All those things like that. That's what he's talking about. God will make all grace abound towards you. This verse is stating that God is willing and able to supply every need for you if you put your trust in him. Now, there's people out there, certain different types of preachers that'll tell you, if you do this, 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 and this, then you'll get this. 
There's some people I would believe in, in the way they preach it. I can get behind them. There's other people that maybe have this formula that you got to do. Maybe along certain types of giving and things like that. I'm just saying if you put God first place in your life and you continue to, to follow what he says, it's only natural that you're going to get good things. I believe that. It's supernatural that you're going to get good things. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. How do we reap? We've got to plant, we've got to sow, right? So as we continue to sow, it's talking about sowing the word in your life. I also believe it's talking about sowing into the kingdom of God. What's that look like? It's about tithing and giving and helping out the poor and things like that. When you give to further the God's kingdom, I, you'll be blessed. I believe that 100%. I've seen it in my life as a new believer. I've seen it in my life as a pastor. As we continue to sow into the kingdom. What's sowing into the kingdom look like? It's giving to further the gospel. To further your local church. Further the missions. When we sow, we will reap. When we sow into God's kingdom and, and, and godly things in all areas of our life, we'll reap a huge harvest. A harvest of people, too. When you sow the word of God into someone else's life, you're going to reap a harvest. I see every Sunday we have people coming to this church. How are they coming to this church? Because someone told them about this church. Once in a while we get someone, when I ask them, how did you find out about, about our church? I saw it on the internet. Nine out of ten people that come to this church are because someone told them, hey, come check this out. That's reaping a harvest right there. I love that. I see people here every Sunday. Sometimes I get embarrassed because I go up to them and say, are you new here today? Well, I've been coming for a couple weeks. I've been coming for three weeks. You know, because I don't, I think Pastor Jeff's the same way. We just don't know everybody. We try to get around and see everybody, but we don't because we have so many people coming in, and it's an awesome thing. The word abound, I love what it says when it talks about grace is going to abound towards you, means to be a great number or amount or to be fully supplied. I want God just to abound towards me in everything, in every, in every possible way. I'm just going to skip ahead here for a few minutes. So give me a second here. Because I think I've got to be done at 7.30, don't I, Jeff? About that time? Okay. Okay. It's all about the kids, Wednesday night. For the children. Um, I'm just, I just want to jump ahead, so. Excuse me. Okay, Ephesians 6. Or Ephesians 3.20. This is number 6 on your list of God is able. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. The actual scripture says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. What's that power that works in us? Is it my good looks? Maybe. No, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God planted on the inside of you that allows us to do that. The verse goes on to say that what God is able to do is according to the power that works in us. God is only going to take the measure of what's in you and do a mighty work. If you're not a born-again believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. I believe God can do great works in unbelievers' lives too, but when you have that Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, he's going to do great and mighty things. It's, it's that power. And then what else? After you get the Holy Spirit and you start devouring and listening to the Word of God and, and, and being renewed to, to it, like I talked about, then he's going to do even more because you're going to have more wisdom and you're going to have more knowledge and you're going to do according to the power that works in us. And the power is that word in us, too. It's like we talked about uh, 
the, the Chronicles of Narnia, where the, where the girl went into the, the wardrobe, and she, she walks through there into another land. It's like when you, she's walking in that wardrobe, that, that new land is like that word of God. When you open up the word of God, it's going to open you up to a supernatural place. You're going to say, this is, this is, this is awesome. I never, I never knew my life could be so good. The Lord doesn't work sovereignly in people's life or independent of us. He has to flow through us. See, the word sovereign is, he's a sovereign king, right? Over everything. But God just doesn't go boom, 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 and we have no say in the matter. We have a say in the matter. He being the sovereign God, and we have free will to do what his word says and things like that. God did create everything. He did a lot of great things, but he's chosen to partner with us. And when we become a Christian, he puts himself on the inside of us, and he says, you and me can do this together. So when we make good decisions, and we do godly things, I think great things happen. When we make stupid decisions, we have to suffer the consequences here on earth, whatever that may be. And so God is sovereign, but we still have a choice in the matter. And sometimes I think we limit God because if we just don't believe in certain things that he can do. It's not that we don't believe in God, that we're atheist or agnostic or we worship something else. That is sometimes we just, we just forget to believe that God can do these things. How many people journal in here? If I ask a question, how many people have a journal that they write in or write songs or anything? I try to. I think to me, if I, could, if I could encourage you, it would be good because you could write in there like, Man, I, God did this today in my life, or, or God did that. And you go back at the end of the year and you read it and you're like, man, my year wasn't so bad after all. Look at all these great things. Now you could write in there, you know, I went and did this and I uh, took my credit card and I thought I needed a couple new things and I went and charged a bunch of stuff and then I got my bill and I didn't have enough money to pay it and then you could write that in there and go, stupid, I won't do that again next month. You know, those are good things too. Those are good reminders. But I would say right in there, this is what God did in my life. I prayed and asked God that he would bring me a friend. Or I prayed and asked God that my husband would come to church. And then, and then he comes to church with you and you write that in there. January 18th, Dave came to church with me. Mary came to church with me. And just write that out in there. I'm not a very good journaler, but I wish I, I got to do it. I think because there's enough times in my life, in my week, where I forget about what God is doing in my life because my eyes are out in the world. Or my mind is thinking about other stuff. I need to write down, this is how good God is. That's what the whole word of God is. That's what the Bible is. It's just all about the great things that God has done in people's lives. Yeah, there's some crazy stuff that happened in the Old Testament. And it's mostly because people decided they didn't want to do it God's way. But when we do it God's way, I tell you what, he's going to blow you, blow you away. He's going to blow your socks off. So don't limit God. Believe in him in every aspect of your life. I know it's funny, when, you, when I became a new Christian, people would always say, well, I'll pray about that. Or God said this, or I heard a word from God, and I'd be like, what are you talking about? I didn't get it. And it's like, no, it's just me against the whole world. There's nobody else here. It's me against the world. These people are crazy. What did I call them, nut jobs, uh, Pastor Jeff? I, I got to give my testimony, I think, after two years of our church anniversary. And we were, it was two years, I think. We were over at one of the schools. Remember, you had me come up and speak. And I basically said, I thought you people were nuts. I thought you were nut jobs. And, uh, 
But God got a hold of me, and he changed my heart, and, and basically I said, I'm one of you. I'm a, I'm a Jesus freak now. And so that's what God will do to you, and, he'll, and he'll, he'll just grab a hold of you, and he'll make the word true to you if you let him. He'll, he'll make the word so clear and perfect in your vision if you allow him to do that. And when you get knocked off your horse, climb back on, right? When you get rattled, you get kicked to the curb, get back up, dust yourself off. Look at what Paul did. He was perplexed, he was pressed, he was pushed down, he was in despair, prison, all these things. And I'm sure we go through those each and every day, some of us here today. But he says, you know what, God will pull you through that all the time. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. He's talking about Jesus. Job said this, remember Job's great life, 42 chapters of craziness? He says in Job 19.25, I know my Redeemer lives. He was onto something way back then. Job, if you chronic, chronologically put it in order in the Bible, was one of the first books that was written. Somewhere in the beginning of Genesis would be the actual time frame when it was written. And Job is saying, a guy that had lost his whole family and everything, my Redeemer lives. Well, you know what? We have a Redeemer today, and he's living today. And he lives on the inside of you. Job didn't have him on the inside of you. You have him on the inside of you. I'm going to read you a couple quotes and I'll be done. When you are surrounded by uncertainty, we need to nail down what you do know. Then what you don't know will not shake your face. Think about that. What do you know? You know what the Word of God says. And that's going to trump everything. And my friend Mark Hankins wrote this. Uh, and I'm going to read the whole scripture, so, or the whole quote. The door to the supernatural, we talked about that on Sunday, swings on two hinges. Believing and Speaking. You are the believer, and God is the performer. When a, problem, when a problem comes knocking on your door, open up the door and introduce it to God, and then step back and watch God do a miracle. Open the door to God's ability. Then when people ask you how you're feeling when you're going through the, through the greatest trial of your life, you say, I'm feeling the same way Jesus was feeling, and he overcame that feeling. I have faith in God, I am not fragile, and I do not fall apart. So when you're thinking about Patsy Klein, I fall to pieces, you don't fall to pieces here. You may be pushed, pressed, knocked down, battered, beat. You might be going through the worst week of your life. But you don't need to fall to pieces. You just need to call upon God. God is able and willing to do great things in your life. Ask and you shall receive. Amen? I'll pray. Father God, we thank you so much for which you are able to do in our lives. Father, we thank you as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Father, as we open up your word, you will just give us revelation after revelation after revelation. Father God, I pray for those here today who are dealing with sickness or disease or illness. Father God, I thank you that you are touching them right now. Father, you're straightening out limbs. Father, you're, you're opening up eyes. You're opening up lungs. Father God, I thank you for allowing for blood to flow. Father, you're healing scars. Father God, I praise you and thank you that you are more than what we can even imagine, Father God. We just thank you and praise you that you're touching each and every one in here in every part of their lives, Father God. Father, if there's people here that need a financial breakthrough, Father God, I thank you that you're showing them and giving them your wisdom to be able to put forth your way and turn a situation around. Father God, I thank you for those people who have started new businesses or new places here in town, Father God, that you would anoint them to do it your way. Father God, you would just show them favor and blessings. 
Father God, I thank you for just continued healing for Pastor Jeff. Father God, I thank you for done a great and mighty work in his life. Father God, we just thank you and praise you that you are making him whole and complete right now. Father, I thank you and praise you that you've made my shoulder whole. Father God, we just thank you and claim that in Jesus' name. Father God, I thank you that you're doing a mighty work in our kids downstairs. Father God, we thank you that you're just getting new revelations of who you are and what you want them to do in their lives. Father God, they're just accepting you and they're following you right now, Father God. We just praise you and thank you. Father God, I thank you for those here today who are weary of their children who have gone astray. Father God, that you've put people in their paths right now, Father God, that would bring them back to the knowledge of who you are and what they have in relationship with you. And Father God, I thank you that you're also mending marriages and relationships, Father God, right now. As we give our spouse or our friend or our coworkers or our bosses, we just deliver them up to you right now. We say, Father God, I cannot do this anymore. I give them to you. That you can change hearts, you can change families, you can change situations. Father God, most of all, we just thank you for the grace and the mercy and the love that you show us each and every day, even when we fail. And Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.